With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. All right, listeners, you just have to give me a minute to get my breath. Maka Paul and I have been doing some Mizbah al-Haq style push-ups in celebration of the great Pakistani win over the old enemy at Lords this week. Paul and Maka, do you think these push-ups are going to take off? <laughs> Certainly, I hope, I hope not for me because um, one was enough for me. <laughs> Adam Voges might be a candidate in Sri Lanka. He's pushing 40. What about you, Maka? Any more push-ups left I, in I, you? I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. I'm done. I'm done. Well, I think we've got our breath back, listeners. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Manners, and we've got a big show lined up. We're going to preview the Test Series versus Sri Lanka. We actually have the Aussie team that's been announced. We're going to critique some commentators. There's loads of news in cricket, so lots to talk about this week. As ever, the show is brought to you by our fantastic Patreon subscribers. The 10 of you that out there know who you are. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, Macca and Paul, are you excited about the Test Series coming up? Uh, man, as I tell you, one thing I'm excited about is getting stuck into this commentator bagathon. We've received some very acerbic criticism that the show hasn't been as tough enough on those. Yeah, that's coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> and other sources. So I'm looking very forward to that segment of the show. Going to bring some late order hitting to the game. Good, good, good. Paul, are you excited about the Test Series? Uh, yes and no. I think that it's always great to have Test Cricket back, but it sounds as though there's going to be, um, it's going to be fairly uncompetitive, I think. I think the Australians are going to win pretty easily. Now, listeners, you might have uh, seen earlier in the week, I did an interview with mm-hmm. Andrew Fernando, who's the Sri Lankan cricket journalist that writes a lot for Crick Info, and he gave a lot of great information about the makeup of the Sri Lankan team, but he, he painted a pretty dire portrait of the way the team's trending over in Sri Lanka. So like you, Paul, I'm pretty confident. I think judging by the injuries to their fast bowlers, this series is going to be completely dominated by spin bowlers. Man, I'm just surprised that the... I mean, it was fantastic, Andrew, but I, I don't think it's going to be a, a walkover like Everybody thinks it is. I, I, I think it's going to be quite competitive. I mean, we, we, we're not the greatest players of spin. Like you said, they'll produce ranked turners. It'll be a contest. Well, let's start with the three pitches that we're playing at. They start off in Palakeli, which is in Candy. And Andrew hinted that might be the most seamer friendly of all. 
But judging by the Sri Lankan team that's been announced and the fact that their fast bowlers are injured, I think they're going to take all the grass off for Candy. And then they move on to Gore, which is a spinner's paradise. And then they finish in Colombo, which again, they'll just take all the grass off and turn it into a spinning paradise. So like you, Macca, that might bring the two sides a little bit closer together. Well, Colombo invariably ends in a draw with about a million runs scored, doesn't it? So perhaps we can write that one off. Um, Gaul tends to spin a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I think as well, uh, that was the only pitch where we might see some reverse swing. Andrew, who was excellent, said that the last 12 test matches in Sri Lanka have all had results because I was with you, Macker. I thought that um, they tended to have large, big-scoring draws, but I think that the pitches of late have been a bit more conducive to results, so maybe we will have three results in this one. Perhaps if we head into Colombo with Sri Lanka in the lead in the series, that's when they would put an absolute road out there. But the Australians completed their preparation for the Test Series with a, a tour match versus the Sri Lankan eleven. It was a, a three-day match, and Sri Lanka batted first, and they made 229. I guess a couple of pleasing things to come out of that bowling performance from the Australians was that Mitchell Stark got 12 overs under his belt, and he's still coming off that injury, and probably the first substantial red ball cricket he's had in a while and he was backed up by Jackson Bird who took two wickets Mitchell Marsh got one wicket and then our man Stephen O'Keefe five for 43 starts off the tour on fire he's, he's had the best Sheffield Shield figures for you know for years and he can't get a run and he can bat that's the thing he's been very unlucky when you look at his stats he should be in some ways the first player picked for Australia that uh, and then in, in this match he top scored with 78 not out and then took a further five wickets in the second innings, whereas Nathan Lyon took, I think, none for 72 off 13 in the first inning, did pick up a couple of wickets in the second. O'Keefe's bowling, I think, is more suited to subcontinental conditions than Lyon. Lyon floats it up and flights it, whereas on the subcontinent, often the bowlers who push it through with a bit more pace tend to be more successful. I did see one highlight of O'Keefe with his left-arm orthodox clean bowling someone, and it looked like a you know, a left-arm orthodox mini version of the ball of the century. It looked absolutely fantastic. It's interesting what O'Keefe was saying prior to this tour, that he learnt a lot about these conditions when he toured the UAE last year. And he's actually modelled, he said, a lot of his bowling on Harath, who is the Sri Lankan spinner. So there's a real influence there. So he should have some success. So Australia, in reply to that 229, made 474. And the main thing about this batting effort was that every batsman except for Nathan Lyon, faced over 38 balls. There were no hundreds. Stephen O'Keefe top scored with 78, so a great match for him so far. Joe Burns made 72 up the top of the order, and Steve Smith made 57, but everyone got some time out there. The highlight for me, though, in the Australian batting effort, and I don't know if anyone saw this, was Mitch Marsh was given out court, I think down the leg side, caught behind, and... The umpire gave him out. Mitch Marsh was not happy with the decision. And he gave gave the mock DRS sign in a game where there was no DRS referral and then tossed his bat as he went off the ground. So he wasn't happy. I think you can get sanctioned in grade cricket and other levels that don't have DRS now for doing that, can't you? So that's interesting. I'm sure you can, but it must be so tempting. If I was playing at any level of cricket, even the backyard, and got given out when I, when I shouldn't have been. I'd be making that signal um, compulsively. Guys, can I say straight off the bat, Mitchell Masters under pressure to maintain his spot in the team? I think you're completely wrong. I think this tour <laughs> is absolutely tailor-made for Mitchell Marsh. He serves that purpose of bowling first change. He will contribute with the runs for sure. That's fine, mate, but his batting's below par. 
Well, it's I don't terrible. Think he, really? he hasn't had the opportunities. He's shown it in one day international level. He's made a couple of big scores. I don't think he's under any pressure in this series. And I think even moving forward, he's the, the perfect number six. I think if he doesn't score runs in this series, then he has to produce test one or test two of the summer. Then he's coming under... You know, then he's well, going to come under pressure. It depends on will he get the opportunity to score the runs. I mean, if our top order performs anywhere near the level they did in the home test series, then he, he'll come in again at three for 400 and, you know, make a quick 30 or 40 and that'll be enough. I've come around to him a little bit. Um, he His batting has, when he gets in, can start to be very good. He's a bit bit shaky early on. But I think he's kind of the, the golden child of the selectors, that they're so desperate to get... Um, an all-rounder who can be uh, a bowling all-rounder and, and and can get can, can justify his spot in the side as a batsman as well. That- but what would we do if Sean Marsh was batting six? Then they would be faced with a huge dilemma running into this first test match of whether they pick three quicks and a spinner because they don't have that backup. Whereas now, we have a really good attack for all conditions. You can play that extra spinner like in the series ahead and you don't really lose anything with the first change bowling. Yeah, absolutely. In, in Sri Lanka, he's absolutely vital because of that, that he that he adds the extra bowler to the side. Now, I just want to finish this Sri Lankan game, that the, the last warm-up game, because it was in the second innings that this team capitulated. The Sri Lankan 11 was all out for 83. They lost 7 for 33 to end their second innings. Stephen O'Keefe took 5 for 21 to take his match figures to a miserly 10 for 64. Stark and Lyon picked up two wickets each. And we got an email from James Barnett who floated the question that Lyon tends to underperform often in these tour games and is there a reason behind it? And Lyon was actually asked about this after the game and he thinks... Nathan Lyon thinks that the batsmen play with too much freedom against him in these tour games. They just There's nothing on the line, so they just tend to go out there and have a swing. Whereas when you get into the test match and there's more pressure, he can get more wickets. I don't know, does that seem right to you guys? I think it is, because I think that if players played with more freedom against him in the test matches, they probably would have more success. People in the past, when they've really gone hard at him, have tended to, um, tended to succeed. I think I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to buy that one, Paul. I don't know if I, I think that's just a, a bit of an excuse. Yeah, he might have just plucked out of the pocket when he saw the big duck egg next to his name and thought, "Oh, none for seventy odd. I'll just come up with this here." <laughs> so Australia won that game by an innings and 162 runs. A great confidence booster heading into the Test series. The big winner was Stephen O'Keefe. He's solidified his position in the side. So now you're looking at the attack being hazelnut. Stark, Lyon and Stephen O'Keefe with Jackson Bird being dropped from the last test match. Uh, so he's missing out. And yeah, I think that's a really good attack for the test series. Can I ask, Paul, um, was this anything more than a glorified match practice game, the tour match? Probably not, but... In- well, sorry, if you're going to say that, let's go back to the game before that was mooted as a tour game and turned out was an intra-squad game mm. which with the players playing in their trackies, tracky suits and half the, the field was covered. So you, if the ball went there, you just had to let it go. And that was Local mooted rules. as a tour game. So I, I don't think you can have any okay. criticism about this <laughs> so game. So move forward, okay. You can't read too much into this game, no. but you can't ignore it either. I remember when we toured Pakistan back in 2013 when we ultimately got um, in the UAE and got thrashed. We got beaten pretty um, pretty comfortably in the tour game and there was the tendency then to say, oh, well, you know, tour games don't really matter. They don't matter much, but they probably are. They're the only point of the form that we've got. And well, it's I think made a big true. difference in this case because Stephen O'Keefe had to put in a good performance. Yeah. If he'd gone into this match and got none for 150, he might have not been picked in that first test side and they would have stuck to what is 
a, a safer method for Australia, which is three fast bowlers and a spinner. We, you know, we're more comfortable with that combination. Whereas now Stephen O'Keefe, his performance demanded selection. And I guess what you were saying about Lions placing the side earlier, I'm not so worried about it this series. But if Stephen O'Keefe stars in this tour in Sri Lanka, then back in Australia when we need one spinner, then that's the, the question marks will emerge. Well, he obviously spins the ball away from the right hand, doesn't he? So that's that's a plus. Good observation. (laughs) That's why I get you on the show. (laughs) I was going to say something else, but I didn't know what it is. What I do want to say, man, is is I'm still not convinced about Joe Burns' technique at the top of the order. Why not? I just think he hangs his bat out there a bit and it doesn't always come down in, in a straight line. He seems to come in at, at, at angle like that, you know, which he has played on a few times. I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced. I'm hoping he's going to have a big series here because he's been over there for quite a while, hasn't he, Menas? He's been in Chennai um, practising. I'm all for this. I think that we should have been doing this a lot longer, having players go over there and really get acclimatised to the conditions. If Burns fails in this series, then I'll be I'll be particularly disappointed. I, I, man, I, the, I agree. You, you need to get a comment. But on, on the other side of the coin, is you end up spending what months away from home. So, and I know you know I know they're professionals, but it comes a second test and third test. You've been away for a long time. You know you're getting fatigued. I, I think. Joe Burns is a specialist test batsman now. He's not playing in any of these 2020 leagues. He's not in the one-day setup, so he can really focus on his long game. And look, I don't have any questions about Joe Burns at the moment. I thought he showed in that New Zealand tour with the ball nibbling around a little more at home that he's got the wherewithal to survive those tough spells. So I think he and Warner are forming a good combination. And and overall, the Australian side, it's really settled. I mean, there's no real debates about the top seven. We only had that one question mark whether Bird or Stephen O'Keefe would play. So I think we're starting to get a really settled 12 plays, which is really important. Until, obviously, we get some blokes back from injury. But I I just think, obviously, as Andrew pointed out last week, that Burns probably won't face any searching tests with a new ball in Sri Lanka. So it might come around to next summer where see what happens let's, Let's pick up a few more things that Andrew said earlier in the week and look at the Sri Lankan side. He said that they might end up picking three spinners as the series goes on. The two leading spinners, we've got Harath, who has 304 test wickets at 30, and he's played 70 tests, and he's backed up by an off spinner, Dil Ruan Pereira, who's taken 44 test wickets at 30 as well in nine test matches. Uh, the, the, the worry for me for Sri Lanka was I sort of think that Harath needs to take 30 wickets if they're to win this series. And Andrew wasn't confident that he's that type of bowler that can just run through the Australians and take those big hauls. So that's not so good for the Sri Lankans. And then with their fast bowlers, I mean, they've lost their top... They've lost their two, three, and four fast bowlers, all injured. So the fast bowlers are going to be led by Pradeep and Lakmal with Chimera, the big one, missing. Yeah, I think that Sri Lanka's big hope is in Gaul to win the toss and bat and have the curator perform uh, miracles on the pitch such that it's uh, even more of a spitting wicket and becomes a bit of a lottery and Australia will quite possibly collapse. And then, you know, in this first test match here in Kandy, it's it's hard to see them doing much, I think. I think the sad thing about Candy is they used to have that lovely ground in the middle of town, which I went to many years ago. Now they moved it out to Palakeli out of town, so it doesn't really have the same atmosphere. And I think it might be a bit of a road out there, mightn't it? So I'm thinking that might be a draw. Well, I think my fear is that the day one we're going to have um, you know a crowd of 1,500, and you just look at it and think, 
what's the point? Mm. Um, yeah, I think we'll see the spinners get on quite early. With the batting for Sri Lanka, it's led by Matthews and Chandamal, but I guess for people wanting to see a young up-and-coming star, Kushal Mendes is the young player to watch from Sri Lanka. So, guys, we've looked at the Australian side. We've looked at the Sri Lankan side. Now it's time to get your predictions for this upcoming series. Maka, I'm going to put you on the spot straight away. Who do you think will score the most runs for Australia in this test series? Steve Smith. Steve Smith. And why is that? Oh, mate, I mean, that's what he does, isn't he? He scores masses and masses of runs. I think he's at the peak of his career. He'll lead from the front and he'll be the top scorer for the whole series. Now, there's also been an announcement this week that Usman Khawaja is getting married. Now, I wonder if getting married will have the same effect on his run scoring than it did on David Warner. Who's your pick for this series, Paul, for most runs for Australia? Uh, A year or two ago, I sent out a tweet saying, unfortunately, Joe Burns is simply not good enough to play test cricket. I'm coming full circle, and my prediction is that Joe Burns will be the top scorer uh, here. Have you deleted that tweet since, Paul? No, I've retweeted it and um, uh, critiqued myself. Isn't that what Twitter's for? That never (laughs) happened. But broadly speaking, though, Paul, the beginning of the Australian summer, there were so many question marks about the top order. I don't think you were alone in having doubts about where he fitted into the top three in Australia. Now, my prediction for most runs in the series, I'm going for a man that has been playing on the subcontinent for the last six months. He's coming off a recent thumb injury. I'm talking, of course, of David Warner. Hasn't played much cricket but I think that refreshing break will serve him serve him well you'll get in there early against the new ball I don't think the Sri Lankan quicks have much up their sleeve so I'm expecting a huge series for David Warner me too but, but men as Warner could be asked to face spin pretty early on in every ins he plays couldn't he conceivably yeah and I think he's, he's just been playing on the IPL then the West Indies before that he was there for the World T20 he's been playing on slow low wickets all year basically I, know, but I think that finger injury it's got to set you back a little bit doesn't it uh, I don't know. I think having the break could be a, a really good benefit for him. Now, bowlers. Who will star for Australia and take the most wickets in this series, Paul? Stephen O'Keefe. There you go. I'm agreeing with that one. I'm going to go Stephen O'Keefe too. I'm, I think, I'm hoping Stephen O'Keefe will take an absolute sack full of wickets. The only player that might be a bit of a surprise on these turning wickets is Mitchell Stark because he was running through the top order in that Sri Lankan tour game. He's got that extra pace. You know, Stark and O'Keefe, I think, will be vying for the top wicket takers. You know where Stark might do some real damage is down in Gore because it's right next to the sea there. I think it's it's on sea level, obviously, but it, I think it's it's very varying conditions, you know, depending on when the tide is in, the weather is, you know, it could, it could swing around there and Stark could really have a field day there if the conditions are right. I tell you what, man. One of the great sights is that you know guys sitting on the gall, a fort at gall, isn't it? You know, a few a hundred metres behind the ground, behind the bowler's arm. It's Watching just the Australian bowlers run through. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to be there. Dive. Yeah, fantastic. I'd love to be there too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone looking to fly three podcasters over there? Just email ozcricketpod at gmail.com. Now, now we've got two to finish the prediction. We've got an over or oh, three actually. We've got an over and an under. So an over and an under is basically. I'm going to ask you, Maka, do you think Mitchell Marsh is going to score over or under 200 runs in this test series? I don't think he'll get 200 runs, mate. Like I said, I think he's going to struggle with a bat and I think he's going to be under pressure to keep so his spot. you're going under 200, yep. Paul? Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. Um, just. Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to lay with you guys on that one and uh, I will go under as well. I don't think he will get the opportunities to play beginnings. I think our top order should lay the groundwork, so I'm not expecting him to score over 200 runs in a three-test series. 
Now, the next over or under is concerning Steve Smith. I think this is his first real test as a captain on the subcontinent in really foreign conditions. It's not like going on a, a tour to New Zealand or something. It's like going to a country town. This is a real change from the Australian conditions. I've got an over or under. How many blow-ups will Steve Smith have in this test series? In the Sri Lankan heat, will he blow up more than two times or less than two times? But I think, you know, Candy's obviously up in the hills there. It's quite cool up there. Then I'll go to Gaul down by, you know, in southern Sri Lanka where it's right by the ocean and it's a bit... Uh, cool, it's a few sea breezes. And obviously Colombo's on the coast as well, but it's a it's a sticky, hot, polluted town. And I think things might, you know, come to a rise to a lot of tension there in the final. It'll blow his lid, I think, in Colombo. You'll get a dodgy decision given out and it'll hit the fan. What about the old hairdryer on some underperforming players? We've seen that in the past. <laughs> Will he pull that out? What are you, so you're going one blow-up? So oh, no, I, I reckon... I reckon More than two or I reckon there's two? going to be a few blow-ups. So you're going by. over two yeah, blow-ups. Yeah. So Captain Grumpy yeah. Captain Grumpy is going to come out a few times. What about you, Paul? I'm going for Captain Happy. I'm going for none. I think that um, Australia's only ever lost one test match to Sri Lanka anywhere ever, and that was when Gillespie and Steve Waugh collided. This Sri Lankan side seems to be at a low ebb. Hope I'm proven wrong, but I, I think Australia will cruise to victory and there'll be no needs to no need to blow up. But as I said, I'd be delightful if it was much more competitive than that. They're not what the headlines we want, though, mate. We don't want Captain Happy. We want Captain Grumpy. No one wants to read about Smith being happy. Can we get an Alan Border like giving it to Craig McDermott? Yeah, again? that's what he wants. Something yeah. like that from Smith. <laughs> I'm going to go over two blow ups, by the way, for the record. Now let's get your predictions for the Test series result, Andrew Fernando picked Australia at 2-1. He said he was being optimistic. So I'm going to go 3-0 Australia. Uh, 3-0 Australia and not one test match to go into the fifth day. I reckon Australia will win the series, but I think it'll be close. I think they might win 2-0. So that's a very confident predictions from the Australians. Last time I was this confident, it was going into the Ashes series last year over in England. <laughs> that didn't work out too well. So I hope this tour works out. A lot better than that tour. Menes, could I remind you how confident you were going into a certain World Cup final in 1996 against the Sri Lankans as well? Can you not remind me? <laughs> I just remember staying up all night for that game and the next day was so painful because you'd stayed up all night watching <clears throat> us lose to, at the time, Sri Lanka were our arch enemy because they'd been out here touring and Arjuna Ranatunga, who came up in the last podcast, had been giving it to us all summer, so... He I've got the last laugh. Never forgiven Stuart Law for dropping that sitter on that the boundary. Was, that was a shock of But I remember one of our, our fellow cricket uh, devotees back then actually backed Sri Lanka in the final. And I think I've never seen you so angry when you found out about halfway through the I game. I can't believe I let him in my house. <laughs> if I'd known he had his Sri Lankan shirt I know, on you never spoke to him again. watching at the pub. <laughs> and he went, he, did, he went home with a bag full of money, didn't he? <laughs> well, listeners, enjoy the Test Series versus Sri Lanka starting very soon. Should be a strong performance by the Aussies. Now we move on to the highly anticipated commentator critique. Now, I've changed the language. It was commentator massacre for a while, but with the seeming... It just doesn't seem appropriate, the fact that there are so many real massacres out there. So I thought, well, we'll take change the language, we'll soften it down a bit. And also, I don't want to give anyone the wrong idea. The commentators aren't that bad. I like so, the bagathon. What was wrong bag-a-thon's with the bagathon? good. You know? Commentator critique, bagathon, but mm. certainly not massacre. So we won't be pulling the guns out. We'll be just pulling out the, the, the big red marker, I would say. Just some, yeah, some gentle critiques. 
You said we shouldn't be too gentle. No, well, man, it's all, now's a good time to bring so, out the knives sharpener because you blokes have knives of everything. Well, I got everything. some feedback from the last show that it was a massive love-in for Bill Laurie. And, and I was like, well, you can't... I mean, I did say maybe you should be tending pigeons, but I don't know. Were we too nice to Bill? We were, and... As for James Brayshaw, Paul, I, I brought a doctor along for see you later because I think you've come down with some strange tropical disease. You want to have a beer with Brayshaw? You're the only bloke on the planet. All of Australia is worried about you, Paul. Mm, they are. I did say I decried his um, sexist comments completely, uh, but just in general on the cricket, I know I'm the only one in the world, maybe except for him who thinks this, he just seems like a nice guy to me. I think he typifies everything about that blokey slick. And it's more with that Eddie Maguire stuff, but it's just so silly and just it just drives me crazy. Now, before we get into the actual talking about the commentators, I just wanted to talk about the concept that I think may be outdated now. And you, Richie Benno's the, the big proponent of this was that, you know, you needed to be know when to be silent at certain times. And I've heard this across multiple sports. But my worry is now with the realities of commercial television that you can't actually have commentators that are quiet. You know, if you turn on the TV and there's dead silence for no one's talking, it's not a good look. So I think now we're moving away from that and it's making commentators just gibber away with bullshit. Could, could that be a fair assessment? I agree. Um, I have a joke here, Manners. If you want to, you can edit it out if it's no good. But <laughs> John Arlett, the famous cricket commentator from England for many years ago, was famous for just allowing the play to go by. And if he thought there was nothing to say when he was commentating alone, he would say nothing. And apparently there was a, a county game once that an entire over went by. A maiden, he didn't say a word. At the end of the over, there's no ads on the BBC. The camera panned around the ground and showed lots of pleasant buildings. And then at the end, there was an ugly modern construction. And he just piped up and said, and that is the difference between construction and architecture. And then the next over was a maiden as well, and he said nothing. Man, so I, I think, um, you know, obviously the radio, it's a different medium. And if they stop talking for, what, 30 seconds, I mean, obviously you're listening, but then it goes into the emergency tapes, doesn't it? Cause, but but I, th- I think on TV you've, these days, you think of the ABC, what, 30 years ago, they had one camera at one end, that was all. And now TV's obviously a visual medium, and you've got so many things like that, that can keep you engaged, like your hated spider cam. You've got stump cam. You've got so many things, the guy on the Segway, that can keep you engaged engaged as a reader i don't sorry as a list as a viewer crowd watching yeah you don't need that you don't need to hear people constantly popping away i understand paul's argument about the ratings yeah. but I, I i still think you can you know you hear sports stars saying all the time you know the coach doesn't say that much or he doesn't but when he says something it's important that you listen and that's how commentators should be i think i just think they're not school. Oh, look i totally yeah. agree with you but so I, just, I. I just worry that the directions from the top of these commercial networks or all networks even cable networks they say to their commentators look we can't have you just sitting there um, quiet for well, too long. Well, they're paid by the word, they, are they? Well, I don't know, but... No, I, Mac, I agree with you 100%, but I, I think Menes' point is that Channel 9 are thinking, oh, if there's dead air, then a, a person who's a half fan who's flicked across will, will change away, whereas if there's a... Um, uh, as you'd decry, a blokey reference, that might keep the, keep the viewers. And I think, as I said last week, that's the, 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 the problem we get with the benefit that with having free-to-air cricket coverage. Yeah, I now, just... I mean, I just think that... I don't know if guys like Brett Lee or Mike Hussey would have been schooled in, and, and they probably wouldn't have thought, how, do, how am I going to approach this craft, you know? You can just imagine someone comes in there and says, let's jazz it up this season, let's make it fun, let's keep the energy up, you know, all this corporate talk. Mm. Well, it's no, Mark, be, you're now, 100% right on Brett Lee and Hussey. They're the, they're the two that... Well, they're on they're, the list for boring. today, so let's get into okay. the list. Let's start off with our... We've got five commentators lined up. Let's start with Greg Blewett. 
Uh, I quite like him. Um, my friend Patrick, who I do the, uh, a podcast with, loves the fact that one day he came on air and they said, um, you know, how are things going, Greg? And he said, well, I've just found out that I've been sacked from South Australia. So any any club, any side that wants to hire me, please feel free. And um, he, he has a fairly um, upfront attitude. And oh, I think he's quite well, pleasant that's to good. listen that's to. That's good, yeah. I think Blue, it's quite a laconic commentator. I don't think he's amazing by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he's particularly funny. But he does give good insights. Uh, but But again... He's just someone you sort of... He's not annoying, but he's not someone you turn on to listen to. But exactly. Let's move on to the next one, because I think this guy gravitates between being pretty terrible and just being okay. I'm talking about Michael Slater. He can just have some shocking stints in the commentary box, and then every now and then he's all right, and then he goes back to being this sort of, I don't know, just real blokey, joking around, thinks he's really funny. I don't know, am I being too harsh? Man, I think the Slater's the perfect example of the I don't know what comes over some of these blokes when they sit down in that Channel Nine commentary booth. Slater was really, really good on ABC Radio. How many years ago? Five years ago. He was really insightful. I found him fantastic. And as soon as he shipped across to Channel Nine, it's just silly. It's just not. It's never interesting or informative. It's always that blokey, you know. Do you think he's trying to be too much of a TV personality? Well, I think he's just like got into the yeah heels, tubby, you know, all that rubbish. Warning, it's just no, it doesn't, it doesn't add anything. Yeah, I think that um, when he commentated during the World Cup, um, he was doing the world feed and was back to that kind of um, pre-Channel 9 persona of just being calling the game, and he's an interesting guy. He's, um, I'd put him at his best at a rung above Blewett that he's not not absolutely sensational, but I think he's quite good to quite good to listen to. But I take your point, Macca, that there are times on the Channel 9 when he goes too far. I, I, he's quite forthright, though. He doesn't shine having a strong opinion, which is good. But I, I just, it's just, I think he, I thought he was really good on ABC Radio when he did that, and I just think he's pretty ordinary on Channel Nine. Now let's move on to one of his teammates, Brett Lee, also in the com box with him. Uh, I'm going to pretty much say everything I said about Slater is almost appropriate for Brett Lee. My problem with Brett Lee is that um, look, he's not the worst. I just find him a bit boring, and I just think he he just doesn't have the insights and the. The, don't you think for someone that took 300 test wickets, as you say, he just doesn't bring much to the table? Well, I think the problem with him and Hussey is that they've spent their whole lives playing cricket. How could they possibly be interesting in commentating on cricket? They haven't got other experiences and other... They're just not interesting enough blokes to be you on know, there. Brett Lee's a singer. He's a Bollywood star. <laughs> Brett Lee just offers... You're right. For a bloke who took 300 test wickets, he offers nothing. His insights, oh, they've got to, you know... Keep just bowl outside the keep that off stout line here. You, you or I could get on there and say what he says. It's, it's, it's just really boring. He, you know I they want it. they want to keep it. You know they won't want to let him get away with this. On that early breakthroughs will be vital here for Australia. It's just it's just not even an insight. It's not. It's I, I don't seem to know what he adds. It's just like you say. It's like he's should, bleached should, should his he tinted hair. Should he should. He get, he should. When, when when they get this new yeah. Channel Nine executive red line, through, line Brett. through Brett Lee. Yeah, yeah we can go over the ball. Keep him to the cricket show only, perhaps. The problem is that they're they're likely to do the opposite of that. That Channel Nine's made the mistake of thinking well, we, they do need new younger people. Brett Lee's not that young; he's in his early forties, but he looks young. He looks like the new generation, and they've just forgotten the fact that look, he's not the worst, but he's just not interesting enough, as far as I'm he's concerned. More that, face that, for they Channel haven't 9. seen. They haven't recognised the fact that he can't commentate. <laughs> now you mentioned Mike Hussey before He's on the list of commentators And I, I find with Mike Hussey at the moment He's sort of caught in this in-between phase Where he's still playing in a lot of these leagues around the world So he doesn't actually pull any punches out He's really quite guarded in everything that he says It's not that interesting I don't think he ever really uh, pulls out any 
severe critiques like Chris Rogers did last year a couple of times. Uh, Mike Hussey's, yeah, really, I think perhaps when he retires and he's not playing with some people, he'll be more critical and he'll, he'll be more forthright. But at the moment, I think just stick to playing in the Caribbean Premier League. Yeah, I think he's just about the most boring commentator going around as far as I'm concerned. Great player and seems like a lovely guy, but just um, and he has these breathless insights that he delivers that aren't insightful. And I also think, and I could be wrong, that he's confecting an enthusiasm that doesn't exist. I, I think if he wasn't being paid to commentate, I don't think he'd be that interested in the game. But he's, oh, what I'm really interested about is this today. Well, I'm actually feeling nervous myself, you're saying. And you think, no, you're not. You know, I, I agree with you, Manners, that if someone took him aside and said, mate, get a bit more edgy, get a bit more interesting, then maybe he'd have a chance. But I, I look, I, I think, um, I don't think he's right for the commentary box. I just think, man, he's, he's, you know, can you, what a fantastic player, what a tribute to Australian cricket, what a, you know, great ornament to our game. But can you really remember anything that Mike Hussey said during his career that was of interest? And I think maybe he's just a little bit shy in the pub, in the public sphere and I think he he looks a bit nervous in front of the camera for mine a little unsure and I think he's probably you know he might turn into a, a commentator of note given his fantastic knowledge of the game but I just don't think he's been given the right intu- the tu- right tuition or schooling to make that transition and I, I think agree. Brett Lee's the same it's just it's a failure on Channel 9's part absolutely agree since Richie Benno wasn't captain anymore, that's probably getting too easy for them in the com box. So we've, we've given the, we've pulled the hairdryer out, Steve Smith style, on the first four. Let's finish up this week with one of my childhood heroes, Dean Jones. I, I'm, I'm just going to say I really like Dean Jones' commentary. I think he's, he is himself. He's honest. He, he lays himself out in all his complexities when he's commentating. A lot of, yeah, he talks about himself. He says stupid things. But I like him. I just like Dino's commentary. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, man. Look, um, I think that I've never done this, but I've always thought of of having a drinking game of every time he refers to his own career of having a shot and just seeing how long you could last before you cut it off the game. But if you were doing that with Ian Chappell, you wouldn't last the end of the over, would you? No, Ian Chappell, what you've got to do is you have a different scales for when he mentions number three batsmen, counter-attacking, <laughs> coaches, captains, <laughs> and how much he hates Steve Waugh. That's it. You can have a whole range of drinking games with Chappelle. Uh, you'll get your stomach pumped in no time. <laughs> but don't you think Dino does bring some good entertainment when he's commentating? Like... I don't know. For me, I, I, I just agree, enjoy man. listening to him. I just like, he's that old school. He's that 80s bloke, you know. He's... And I don't feel he turns it up. Like, I don't think it's, he's putting on an act. He's just himself. Like, that's why he said that stupid he's, thing about him. He's Amber. a bit of a throwback. He's not caught up in this politically correctness now, you know, that seems to rule the world. I mean, obviously, he made a few faux pas back in the day. But, yeah, I don't mind him. I find him much more interesting and entertaining than most of the other commentators. I find there's a slight sadness about his commentary because... He was such a good player whose career suddenly, for various reasons, ended probably three or four years sooner than he thought it should have, and probably that it should have. He should be kind of regarded now as one of the the real legends of Australian cricket. He's missed that. He's the the level below that. After the the racist comment, he sort of disappeared from the scene for 10 years. I sometimes think he's he's almost trying to say, hey, remember me? I, I really should be regarded a level higher than I am, but I'm not. I also think it's that little little thing when you're not inside the Channel 9 commentary box, that elite, you know, you don't get called up into that group. Like Alan Border, you can kind of slip away from the public eye, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, you know, you're right, man. Is that you, Your career becomes greater because you remain in the public eye when it's over, you know. I mean, Slater was a good opener, but he wasn't fantastic. But kids growing up today would be seen as a great, wouldn't he? Indeed. Now, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the commentator critique this week. I think we pulled out the hairdryer this week. I think we were a little bit tougher on them, but we're just speaking from the heart. But look, 
I'm going to bring out some critique for the listeners now. I want to get your feedback on the commentators and send us in commentators you'd like us to assess. We're throwing the doors open now. We're going to go into radio. We're going to go into international commentators. I'll sort of edit out the ones that we haven't seen a lot on Australian TV, but we are going to continue this segment right until we've covered pretty much every commentator we can. And please get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast. Send us in your commentators, your opinion on what we've said, your opinion on some of these commentators and I'll read them out next week. Now, to get in touch with us, we're on Gmail, OzCricketPod, A-U-S-CricketPod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at OzCricketPod, A-U-S-CricketPod. You can find us on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. And I'm going to make one more impassioned plea. If you have time, whatever app you listen to the show, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, whatever app, rate the show, review the show, and perhaps tell your cricket-loving friends about the Australian Cricket Podcast. Colin Miller again, bowling his off-spinners. Oh, that's got in the air. This is going to be safe, is it? No, this might be out. Oh, there's a collision. Oh, a dreadful collision down there. Dreadful collision. My goodness. Well, two of them charging down towards each other. Is that, uh, who's that? Uh, is that Steve War? I think he's holding his nose. And uh, there was no real coin. Look at, uh, is it Gillespie down there with him? Uh, Steve War not feeling good at all. Well, that was one of the worst that I've seen. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. This is the extended edition of the show. And that was Steve War and Jason Gillespie colliding on the outfield in that old ground you were talking about in Candy Macca. Uh, you know, terrific collision. And I hope we don't see anything like that in this upcoming test series. Well, it's beautiful old ground, man. It's a real pity. that. that I mean, I think it was the only test ground in the world, the only ground in the world that was used for test cricket and for schoolboy cricket. So it's sad that, that, that they're not using it anymore, really. And sad that Steve Wall left part of his nose on the outfield <laughs> at that point. I've never been able to look at a high ball the same after that. that and if I ever play it and the high ball goes up, I'm always thinking, geez, I hope I don't collide with someone here. Now let's catch up on all the news in cricket this week. Let's start off with the big appointment. After Alan Donald came under fire from Gab Joshi in, on this tour, David Saker was appointed as the new bowling coach and assistant coach who will take over uh, for the next tour when they go over to South Africa. What do we think of David Saker being appointed to assistant coach? Because I think it's a great move. He was very forthright last summer in having some disagreements with Darren Lehman about certain selections. And I like the fact that we're going to have a really strong assistant coach. Man, so I might have this wrong, but Saker's got a very checkered career, doesn't he? He was part of the Victorian set up last year when they had that ball tampering debacle in the final. But it was Mickey Lewis that did the old sly ball tampering on the yeah, outfield. Yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, the hierarchy has to take I mean, he did coach the English and they love their ball tampering. Well, what about the sweets they put on the ball in that series? I mean, it, it's uh, you know, it, it's by the by. But that I wasn't Saker though, that was Cooley. It wasn't, wasn't Saker? It? No, it was Cooley. Okay, well there you go. Stra- Saker is a straight shooter. He's been coaching in domestic cricket the last couple of years so he's going to bring a wealth of knowledge it's a good appointment i don't have an opinion for a change i just don't know enough about david Saker. that's a great podcast <laughs> i don't have an opinion well man as i think the, 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 you know it wasn't a great thing it wasn't one of the things said about brian lara that he's so talented that he couldn't understand that less talented teammates while they would make these mistakes and he would get frustrated and he wasn't a good leader so then i'll go on and say that often the best players don't make best coaches do they so someone like Saker who plied away at his trade and did quite well. He's obviously had success as he a coach. He had to work hard he, well, to he, get he under, his success, so he knows like, about 
that. Like Damien Fleming, who really had to make the most of his talents, as opposed to Alan Donald, who was a fantastic bowler, but it all just came so naturally. So, But I think it's a really good appointment, yeah. And he brings some inside knowledge from the English camp, having been their bowling coach. I think that's great. Also, I'm just glad it's not a Palm or a South African. Well, I'm just going to say that, it. That's the other one. I'm just going to lay it out. This yep. is the Australian Cricket Podcast. Yep. They've also released the domestic schedule for the upcoming summer. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking about turning off, but don't turn off. It's quite interesting this year. They've <laughs> moved the Matador Cup from solely being in New South Wales. They're going to play the first eight-game split between Perth and Brisbane. So that's a big change. 13 matches of the Matador Cup will be live on television. And they're going to have bullfighting at halftime to make to try and draw any attention to it, aren't they? And the CA11 is back. And I'm predicting this will be their last last, Medizzi, last season in Medizzi, the Matador Cup. But as you'll be out there at North Sydney Oval with your CA11 outfit on and your flag and well, come on, boys. You, what's your friend's name? Uh, Pat Howard. Your good mate, Paddy Howard, was already flagged. He said, basically, well, we'd committed to this concept for two years, so we're going to stick with it. But he didn't make any commitments to going any further. So I think this will be the CA11's last Performance in the domestic cup, thank God. Well, your your hatred. Go, so, Paul, I was going to uh, what do you think about that at all? Cup because it's kind of it comes when you know, sort of. I think when the footy finals are still going on, or or just it, I just don't. It's it, it's a nice introduction to the summer, but it just fails to sort of get much interest, doesn't it? Sadly, well, I think um, it used to be wonderful back in the day when. October, suddenly after winter, there'd be a Channel 9 game would appear almost unexpectedly, mm. and then there'd be the full Richie Benno, the whole lot. And that was, was pre-2020, of course. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is now, given the realities of the world, I think it's been a quite a successful reinvention of it that, A, they've said, look, we're just going to get it over and done with. It's useful for our players. And the fact they've got it on Gem, and I think they pay Gem to actually televise it, means that a surprising number of Australians still yeah. are kind of addicted to free-to-air Someone's flicking through the stations. There's nothing on. I don't know Foxtel. Oh, there's cricket on Gem. I'll watch it. It, it. It's probably going a little bit better than it was five years ago when it was on every game on Fox and, and no one was watching it. I think Cricket Australia have got a couple of things, right? Firstly, to your what? point... What? Say that again, Minister? Yeah, Sorry. I know. Yeah, you can quote me. It's, it's on record now. I've said it. Um, firstly, what you said, Paul, is it comes after the winter, which I think so. a lot of cricket fans who haven't been watching much cricket are like, oh, there's cricket back on, I'll watch it. Whereas if the competition was at the end of the summer, maybe people by then would be a bit sick of cricket. So I think it comes at a good time, but... The way Cricket Australia have gone to this blocking the tournaments together, which is a result of the success of the Big Bash. So they block the domestic one-day cup at the beginning of season and they play two blocks of first-class cricket. I think it is working and it is good for the actual squads to get some momentum in that form of the game. Like when you go and play in a one-day tournament, the Champions Trophy, the World Cup, you're going to play lots of games close together. So I think yeah, actually sure. Cricket Australia have done really well with this well, one. Well, it's also you know still keeping that one one day cricket ticking over and bringing the next generation through for the next World Cup, isn't it? So that's fine. Now, the Shield schedule has been announced and the big news is there will be two day-night rounds in the first half of the the summer and that's primarily to prepare the players for the two day-night tests, one at Adelaide at the end of November and one at the Gabba in mid-December against Pakistan. So they're going to be playing two Shield rounds. The first one will be a day-night day-night round, and then there'll be a second day-night shield round just before the test against Pakistan. That'll also give the players a chance to use that new pink ball with the dark seam that picks up a bit better under lights. Paul, you've shown some scepticism over whether the tests at um, Sri Lanka will last five days. This test at the Gabba, 
It could be. A, I mean, you look, you know, Pakistan have got a good bowling lineup if you look at Lords. Amir we, Riaz. Mate, and we will have a good swing bowl. This it test could Two-day test. Yeah, it could be over within two days. I hope it's not, but I, I think if I think it's a risk worth taking to... Oh, so do I. No, but no, look, if it was over in two days, it'd be very entertaining. I hope that they can... Um, they're going to have to leave extra grass on there so that the pink ball doesn't deteriorate. And as you say, with our bowling lineup and theirs... It could be over quite quickly, but a, a three-day test match was what we had with um, Australia and New Zealand in Adelaide last summer for the day-night game. That was okay, I think. I know, but I th- I'm just thinking, you know, if you do this, you have, you risk the chance of, I don't know, you know, having a bad effect upon the pink ball. It's like, well, wait, we have to we'll roll this back. We'll put this it this way, Mac. I'm going to the Adelaide test, and I've booked my flight home to come back before the fifth day even starts. So I'm pretty confident the test will be over in you four days. You've got to gather in a day and come back, mate. With also the Sheffield Shield, they've done a couple of things. They've They've made all the... SCG fans happy because New South Wales is going to be playing four home games at the SCG as opposed to playing only one home game last year at the SCG. That was a little bit of blue centricity out there, listeners. Uh, The Victorians are again playing a game in Alice Springs, which I just don't get. I think play a game in regional areas in your own state. Your Victorian usually play in Victoria. And Queensland also playing a game in Townsville. So great to get out out into those regional centres. But as I said, I think Victoria just have to play in Victoria. Yeah, I think so. Although I don't don't know why they play at Alice Springs. Is it to try to promote cricket there or is it to... It does seem a bit strange. It's like if we started going and playing cricket in Kalgoorlie or something. You know, it just doesn't make sense. That's the schedule for the domestic summer announced. Now I want to move on to something that answers a lot of the questions that we've been floating in this podcast over the last couple of months in the way cricket is governed. And there was a very good interview with the ICC president, Dave Richardson. I think uh, Jonathan Agnew did it for Test Match Special. So if you subscribe to that podcast, you can find it in there. But look, I'm going to save you the trouble of listening to that because I've gone through it and pulled out some of the real highlights from what the president of the ICC has to say after their meeting in Edinburgh. Well, let's start off with the first one. Now, he talked about the 2017 Champions Trophy as possibly being the last Champions Trophy because once they move to a 10-team 50-over World Cup, then the Champions Trophy is kind of not needed. So I don't think there's any... I don't have any problems with the Champions Trophy going. But what he did say was that it's going to be the first smart event. And when he said smart event, he said the, the ICC app's going to be available. And I know all you cricket fans out there were worried whether there would be a good app. And the other thing he talked about was driverless electric cars outside the ground. Now, does that mean you can just walk outside of a Champions Trophy next year and just jump in a, a car with nobody in it and it'll just take you home? I mean, but- I don't think he said driverless. I think it was electric. Um, but the, the, the Don't dro- let facts get in the hoodlay. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> what has that got to do with the cricket? What has that got to do with what happens on the field? That's my point. It's just fluff. But I love the bit about the app being available. It's like, welcome to 2006. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He also did mention when talking about these tournaments that perhaps the way for associate nations is not through 50 over cricket, but through T20 cricket, which I agree with. Well, yeah, that I way, I mean, it's easy for them to compete over the 20 overs, isn't it? Yep. So while there was that big outcry after the last World Cup about the associate present being cut down for the next World Cup, he's saying he doesn't think that's the right pathway for them 
As I said, I sort of agree with that. Now, the one thing that was really interesting was he talked about the DRS system, and we spoke about this in the, the last episode we were all together, about the difference between how accurate it is. And they've been doing a lot of testing on DRS in MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and that, that is the place where if you want to get testing done for all this stuff, they handle all the baseball testing and they can, they, get, they can really do a good job. And they've come up with the margin for error on DRS. And this is the most interesting thing. Now, when the line is concerned, so the, the width, they're saying the margin for error on DRS is up to seven millimeters on each side. So that's not even a centimeter. Seven millimeters on each side is not much. And then the height, though, is a little bit more. It's 25 millimeters or 2.5 centimeters. So that might explain why we got that one in the West Indies where the ball hit the top of the stumps, but DRS that, had it that, going that's over. A, that's an inch, man. That's a lot. Well, that's the question. I was saying if you take seven millimeters each side on the, the line, that's not that's too bad. Right. But the height... Two and a half centimetres. Do you think that is enough to... The, comp- the comparison he gave is, is it better than human error? And it is better than human error. It's miles better than human error. I wouldn't be surprised if the if you look at um, some of the umpiring decisions in history, it's probably a foot that the, they've made errors with. It's harder with the height because the ball's leaving the hand over two metres in height and then it's going all the way down to the pitch and bouncing back up. So if you think of the the plane that we're working with there, it's a, it's a much... Um, there's just much more margin for error. I think to get it to a maximum error of 2.5 centimetres, so most of the time it's going to be less than that, I think that's um, that's pretty good, and I think it should put to bed any debate about DRS. It's the way forward. So I guess the, the doubt then becomes about those really minute clipping the stumps, whether the ball's just clipping the top of the bales or going off, and I know that's not a big problem, is it? I mean, we're here for the ball, the real howlers. If, if this is the actual figures and they're accurate, I, I'm uh, quite in favour of DRS. Now, let's stay in Boston because while I was watching the Red Sox yesterday, they were talking about concussion treatment and they had something that was really interesting. Apparently, the Red Sox are are leading the way in concussion studies. And as we know, in cricket, this is one of the big issues at the moment is the way they deal with concussion. What the Red Sox do at the beginning of every season is they get a baseline brain study of every player done before the season starts. And then if they get hit in the head or concussed, they can compare the the new well, they can do an exam and they can compare the concussed brain with the the brain from the beginning of the season to see if there's been any differences. And I think this is maybe what they need to start doing in Australian cricket. There might be some revealing uh, results early on in the in those early brain scans, mightn't there, as to what actually is or is not going on upstairs. <laughs> what about the Channel Nine commentary getting a baseline <laughs> brain, brain scan? scan? What do you reckon? I I think, how long have they got? <laughs> the, uh, the, the brain scan, I think, is the way to go, although it is easier in baseball because you know the at-bats are so much shorter and the games are so much more regularly played that in cricket, if you come off with a, a head injury, potentially the next the next innings you play might be something that lasts six or seven hours and that's uh, you need to stop that innings there and then and that can crucially affect the game in baseball. I think they're stopping that now, though, Paul. I think now if you get hit, they won't let you go out and bat anymore. If you get hit hard enough, that's mm. it. They'll just, they'll just pull you off. But that's the interesting thing, that um, the... <laughs> The reluctance. I want on the to team. get concussed, Mez. Re- <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's move on to the last thing David Richardson said, and it was about the two-tier test system. And I have to say, he actually sold it to me by the end of what he was saying about the way the the seven and five split right, and the promotion me, and relegation. You, you've agreed with Cricket Australia and the ICC on this podcast, mate. We, if we'd done a baseline brain scan on you at the start of the season or the 
doing these podcasts, there'd be a very different result right now. What, what's going on? Uh, He was quite compelling, Richardson. Well, look, he was quite compelling. And look, the the things he had to say about the promotion and relegation were, as I said, it's not a perfect system, but it would generate interest right down the top 12 test sides. So the way he put it was if you had like a first place or a final, then that means the first, you say the top four teams would be vying to be the number one side or the top two to play in a potential final. So that would keep interest at the top of the ladder. Then if you're sort of middle of the ladder, five to seven, then you're fighting out to stay out of that seventh spot and not get relegated to the second division. So, you know, series that might not be interesting, Sri Lanka v New Zealand, all of a sudden take on a bigger purpose. And then if you're in that second division, which is eight through 12, then you're fighting for two years to try and get promoted to the first division. It sort of keeps interest right down the test ladder. And furthermore, it means that, uh, sorry, as an aside, if Australia and England were ever in different divisions, the Ashes will still be able to be played. There'll be enough room for really... And that quite likely could happen. Well, you you never know. Um, And I think it would also mean that if a side that uh, would otherwise not pay enough attention to a test upcoming test series if that side's coming fifth or something like that it, it could mean that they'll say right we have to be we have to be um quite serious about this and yeah i agree he sold it to me as well although i was already fairly sold on it and also he made up the point about what we saw earlier this summer in australia with the australia west indies test series that they are so bad for the game having those test series that are just complete farces and no crowds that having a ladder like this would start to eliminate that sort of cricket but don't you, isn't your worry like a, you know like like you mentioned the Premier League, that when you go, when you fall down to that relegation, that you're you're hit so hard financially. Well, that's the thing. He said you have to have a very strong financial oh, model. Underpinning and the ICC it. are all about forward well, planning. Well, that's what and great Sri Lanka. That's why Sri Lanka has been critical because they want guarantees of you know how much money they'll get from the ICC if they drop down. Well, Sri Lanka's a good example. You can sort of say, they're in the seventh spot yeah, now. Yeah, so. well, because the West Indies might be forever down there. But if someone like Sri Lanka, they fall down and they can never get back because they, 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 there's no money coming to them to help you know generate their uh, next I think the ICC are about preventing that, though. But I think Richardson's point was also that when we have current series like when Australia's going to go to Sri Lanka now, and if we are going to have a series where there aren't that many crowds, and then adding to my own thing, if, if the only way they're going to be competitive is to doctor the pitches to the point of being caricatures of themselves maybe they do deserve to come seventh get punted down have to play Ireland and and, and earn their way to come back up I like doctored pitches I think the problem is in Australia we're behind we should be producing these green tops when the subcontinent teams we're not doing it maybe we're a little bit too fair-minded I don't know let's let's start cranking up the doctoring in Australia I think that'd be terrible I think that Sides can't win in the Gabba or the Wacker anyway. If we said to the Gabba curator, let's make it even bouncier, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be... And if we said to Sydney, listen... Um, your week for crazy ideas, Macca. Paul's <laughs> kept guys, his come on, crazy we, ideas in his mate, pocket. When we this grew week. up, the Gabba was a seamer. The Wacker was a hard, I just think that's the way you remember pitch. it. And the SCG was a great... Remember the SCG had come along and they'd totally turn the team around and Bob Holland would be playing in Sydney and Border would be getting seven for Bright, 46. Brikes. What, like, why can't we do that? How boring was the whacker last summer? Like, just, you know. Well, no, let's, I, I agree with you on that, that, that um, keep the grounds with their natural characteristics. Yeah. Don't make them more bland. But I'm saying don't doctor them beyond their natural characteristics. Well, let's see what happens from that ICC meeting. As I said, nothing is actually being done with this two-tier, two-tier test model. Oh, what, the ICC are doing so nothing again? Get, so I, don't get too excited because until it's actually in place, it probably won't happen. Now, let's end this show with my takeaways from the Caribbean Premier League. I haven't watched many games in full this week, but I have been 
checking in and watching some highlights and watching bits and pieces of games. And the Aussie veterans have been struggling. Uh, Shane Watson's and Mike Hussey's Zooks have been in trouble. Brad Hodges' Patriots are almost out of it already, so the veterans aren't doing too well. But there was a couple of got a couple of takeaways from the tournament. Now they've got this one-handed catch thing going, and it's a it's a pretty convoluted competition. But basically, if you're the first person to take a one-handed catch in the game, you win some money, and then you go into a draw to win more money. But my problem is. I don't think encouraging one-handed catches in a ground in the T20 thing is a good idea. I mean, the way Gale and some of these blokes hit the ball, how many broken fingers are we going to have before people actually catch them? If you try and catch one of Gale's rockets with one hand, you're going to be left with one finger left. I mean, what about Andre Russell? I mean, he hits them even harder than Gale, doesn't he? Aren't there some litigation issues, though, with encouraging this sort of one-handed catching? Mm, Not only that, it just... Not just the catching, that one day surely someone at a, at a T20 game in the crowd is going to get hit really badly when they're not watching. Uh, also that I've noticed in the CPL, they love the send-offs and they love the celebrations. They've got, got this kind of football-style attitude to T20 cricket. They run around like they've scored a goal. They've got this one player... Who is it? Shel- Sergeant Sheldon Cottrell, who when he takes a w- wicket, gives the old military salute oh. to the batsman when he's going off. Now, I don't know, do we like send-offs? Uh, uh, I mean, that's got style. I like to watch it. Yeah. I don't know if I'd like it if I was a batsman, though. It's good theatre. It's T20, isn't it? You know, obviously there was that great ruckus last year about ending send-offs. And I do think it is cheap because, you know, what can you say as a batsman? You've been dismissed, even if you scored 4,000 runs. But I don't have a problem with it in... Um T20 cricket, but I guess the problem is when kids start copying it in the park, isn't it? When it's done with a bit of humour, I've got some time for it. If, if, you know, if he's doing a bit of a salute, that's funny. What I hate is the one where the batsman's walking off and he just get, gets a gobful for, for, for no reason. That should be clamped down on. A little bit of humour I can live with. Well, listen, I guess we'll send it off now. That was the show this week. We'll end it off in the Caribbean. Enjoy the Test Series in Sri Lanka next week. Macca, thanks for coming Good in. Good to be here, guys. Paul, thanks for coming in. Thanks, guys. Listeners, thanks for downloading the show. Next week, the test is on, I think, Tuesday to Saturday, so I don't think there'll be a new episode next week. I have a special release for you, so look out for it. Thank you. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. So, Macca, you've got there some tongue twisters, which will certainly help warm up the vocal cords and give me a sound check. So do you want to read some out for me? Grey Amy LeBroy? No, the sound, the bloody tongue twisters. <laughs> Can we put... What have, where, what have we got? We'll just read some out into the mic so I actually get a sound check. You've got Dr. Seuss here. Just read something. Uh, I want to read Dr. You Seuss. You and your bloody stumbling over your words. When Tweedle Beetles battle with paddles in a puddle, they call it a Tweedle Beetle Puddle Paddle Battle. Good job, Paul. <laughs> Something in a 30-acre thermal thicket of thorns and thistles thumped and thundered, threatening the 3D thoughts of Matthew the Thug. Wow, these Sri Lankan names are going to sound is easy that now. Is again? No, I don't know who that is. Sports Social Podcast Network.